Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and I have a special guest with me, Celia Holden. How are you doing, doing, Celia? I'm doing okay. How about you? Good, good, good. As good as we can be in this quarantine. The world is is crumbling, and so, yeah, we try to... So this is actually part of the podcast where I ask our guest, which is yourself, to introduce yourself to your audience out there of who you are, where you're from, and where you're heading. Okay. So my name is Celia. I am French originally, and I have a PhD in psychology. And in the past uh, over 10 years now, I've worked in the game industry. I started at Ubisoft in France, in Paris. Then I moved to Ubisoft in Montreal. Then I moved to LucasArts. I worked on a bunch of uh, Star Wars games. I never saw the light of day, like Star Wars 1313. Um, And then after Disney shut down LucasArts, this is when I moved to Epic Games in 2013. And I became the director of user experience at Epic. And I worked at the studio level. So I worked on Unreal Engine. I worked on a bunch of games on different platforms including Fortnite. I worked very closely with the Fortnite team. And I left Epic in October 2017. Ever since then, I've, I'm a independent consultant. And I spread the UX love everywhere I can to explain what UX is all about, uh, what we, why we need uh, to have some knowledge in cognitive science to, to make better games, and why it's important to shift to uh, the perspective of our players to make better games. And that's that's pretty much in a nutshell uh, who I am and what I'm doing. Yes, UX is actually a subject that I have very little knowledge about. If you can expand on that a little bit further to help educate the masses and why it's important for game development. Of course. Yeah, so UX, it's, it's becoming very trendy, but uh, a lot of people, when we say UX, they think UI, so the user interface. Um, UX is not just UI. UI is a, a big part of, of uh, UX, of course, but UX is it's basically to um, shift from our own perspective as a game developer to adopt the perspective of the player because when you when you create a game you have you know your own what we call mental model so you have your your own things you know your your own thoughts and and you have you have your plan in your head and and you know where you're headed and so when you develop the game of course you have to uh, implement all these uh, uh, ideas that you have in a system that has constraints. Um, you are using a specific engine to make the game and you don't have infinite money or infinite time and you don't have uh, necessarily a lot of people to do that. And so all of these constraints are shaping a little bit your ideas as you implement them. And then Fast forward, you ship the game and the players are coming over with their expectations of the game if they have uh, heard of your game. And they're going to they're gonna figure it out and they're going to make up their own mental models so what they believe the game is all about only through interact the interaction with the, the image of, of your game, of the system. So everything that they can perceive and interact with. So, of course, it's going to be the UI, so... Uh, the uh, the elements on screen. Uh, it's going to be the art. It's going to be the design. It's going to be the music. Um, it's going to be the controls. 
through all of that, the players are going to have a specific experience of the game. And what we're trying to accomplish is make sure that this experience that they are having is the one that the game developers wanted for them. So it's about making sure we align that because um, we ultimately, like we're making games for other people that of course we, most game developers, they, they make games also because they enjoy it and they want to play it themselves. But we make games for other people that, that don't know all the depth of the game that don't you know they can be in our minds so we have to convey a lot of elements to players and we try to ensure that these elements are properly conveyed so they can intuitively get on board the game uh, without having to read countless instructions that are boring and so and and then experience what they um what we want them to experience so if you make a horror game you want players to you know be stressed out um Mm -hmm. and and you know have jump scares if you're making a tactical game you want players to be engaged into tactics uh if you make a collaborative game you want players to have fun as they collaborate with others so this is really what we're trying to accomplish what we're trying to to do is what players are experiencing and to do that we adopt what we call a us a ux approach um which is basically understanding a little bit how the brain works uh, and how people perceive things because we are all different and we are all biased and so we all perceive things uh, uh differently uh, and so it's hard for a game developer to detach themselves from their own perception and understanding of the game to adopt um, the one of, of their players. And so this approach is all about that, is bringing the science, so cognitive science, and the, um, the, the framework, like looking into uh, principles of usability, the ability of the game to be used, but also engageability, the uh, ability of the game to be engaging, because a game is not just a tool. When you you know, this, discover a new app or uh, download a new tool for work, you need, to, you need it to be usable. You, you want to be able to understand it simply, you know, without being like, what the hell? Why is this not working? Uh, where do you need to click? Uh, this is not intuitive. It's boring. And we get angry at these sort of uh, problems. So we look into that for games, but it's not, it's not enough because games are not a tool. Uh, we, it's the whole point is to interact and have fun as we interact with the system. Uh, so the, the engageability part is really crucial. It's important for any um, uh, tool that we develop, of course, but for games, it is the whole point to be engaged in this activity. Uh, so it's important also to take into account, you know, motivation, how we get motivated to, to do a certain activity, like humans, what they like to do, uh, emotions, you know, game flow, make sure that, we onboard them um, in a, in a, in a intuitive and and the non boring way, and uh, we allow them to um, quickly understand how the game works and and be able to enter that flow when when you're like super into the game and you're just having fun. Um, so it's all of that, and um, to accomplish that all throughout the development process, we use a scientific method, uh, which is ensuring as much as we can that we're not falling for our own biases um, because we're humans. And when we look at a situation, um, whether it is making games or participating in building a society, we look at it through our own lens. And so we're, we're missing out on how other people perceive things um and we all perceive things in in a different way um so it's it's by using the scientific method it's it's allowing to we remove as much as possible our own uh, subjective biases so we can look at uh what's the problem what, what are the problems in the game objectively as objectively as possible and so that we can concentrate on the, the the main problems that are happening and we can fix it so we can again uh offer the experience i wanted to offer to players so it's it's a mindset uh if you will and it's it's if you have if you adopt this mindset comes with a bunch of tools uh and framework and principles uh and a methodology to help you get there yeah, I, I definitely understand it more for sure. I think I was first introduced to this idea of UX by Valve was kind of extending their their ideas of input. They were experimenting with emotional input as part of it. Like 
they were measuring the kind of devices for heartbeats to help with the scares, varying out the gameplay. And this was a few years ago where I finally felt like the industry was having a turning point where they were going beyond the story and the visual output. So if anything, I feel like our medium is getting responsible or expecting to be responsible for how we communicate to others. As visual fidelity matures and we're progressing as an industry, there's a lot of expectations that we are feeding into the player and what they walk away from. It is more, more than just watching a movie, than, than reading a book. I feel like uh, we get to the point where I always compare to the Matrix. <laughs> we use AR, VR. We have all these senses of kind of put into a system for virtual feedback. It's a lot more grander than any other type of mediums. Um, and, and but it's, it's interactive. It's so interactive, exactly. it, it needs the input of the players to move forward. So without that input, we, the, there's no game. So that's the reason why players need to understand what's going on and make make have choices and 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 through these choices they can experience something that is fun. Is this a space that has been growing because of technology or has it been because of more demand in other sectors? Uh, no, it's it's been there for uh, quite a while. Uh, it, it is. It, it, it was not called UX um, um, at the beginning, but it, it was called human factor psychology. Um, like even objects, like if you have a bottle of water and you try to open it, you know, you have this, this little, uh, things like to help your grip to open the, the bottle and the bottle is, is usually, uh, narrower at the, at this, at, at the middle. So you can hold it. That's thinking about user experience. It's thinking about how we can make that object more easy to use so you can more easily open it up to do what you want to do, which is drink. Um, doors is another example that is often uh, 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 used as if, if you see a door with a handle, you're going to expect to grab the handle and pull. And sometimes some doors, needs, they need to be pushed even though they have that handle. And that's a bad user experience because they they are signaling something that is actually not the way they work. And so that's annoying because you would start pulling like, oh, shit, I need to push. Um, and so this is the same principle. Uh, but of course, with computers, it's it's uh, shifted a little bit. It was not physical objects. It was uh, all through screens and and. Uh, and this is when we started to call it human-computer interaction. So making sure that humans can understand how to, to um, uh, interact with computers. Um, you know, like the mouse uh, is a good example of, of a big step forward to interact with a computer and make it easy uh, for, uh, for people. Like the, the icons, uh, the uh, iconography, the little windows um, to interact with the computer, not just having to 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 type code but having an interface uh, so that you can accomplish the goals with a computer without having to code because that a lot of people don't know how to code um, so all of that is uh, making user experience better in terms of its usability but if you think about apple that was saying hello uh, to their users that's about engageability because now you have a connection uh, with the computer. It's not just a computer. It's that computer saying hello to you. Um, so it's, it's building up on um, emotion. Or a thing like the iPhone, that the fact that it's, it's super slick. The, the first time it came out, um, it's, it, it did not compete against the BlackBerry because it had better or more functionalities. But it was more interesting to use, like emotional to use uh, just one button and, and everything is, is on the touch screen. All of that is UX. All of that is thinking about the experience of the user. And Apple is a very good example um, because the, the person who coined the term UX uh, was actually VP of Apple at some point. It's called Dan, um, Don Norman and is a UX designer and he's uh, got a degree, a degree in, uh, uh, in a kind of science as well. 
And uh, he, he coined that term because he wanted a term to account for the whole experience that one's going to have with a product. But from the first time they hear about it to the time that they maybe need help uh, with a, a customer service. So it's not just interacting with the object itself or interacting with the game itself. It's the first time you hear about it. Or if you go to an Apple store, like think about the experience in an Apple store. Like everything is made to make you feel like you're special and all the, the stuff is, is really looking good and, and people coming to you and, and immediately they get you checked out. Um, all of that experience is really thought through um, and then you unboxing a Mac is part of the experience and um, onboarding the, uh, with the Mac and the Mac is telling you what to do. And it's a really a cool process uh, that now a lot of uh, other companies are catching up with. But it's, it's, it's very different from what we were used to. Like you had to look at the manual to, to figure it out. Now the system is onboarding you to use it uh, by itself. Uh, and then you use the, the system, the game, like you downloaded the game, like from a launcher, like the experience that you have on the launcher is part of, of the whole experience uh, as well. And you play the game and the things that you understand, don't understand, if it's fun, not fun, all that is part of, of UX. But also when you finish playing the game, if if you contact, you know, the community manager or you go on the forums, that's also part of the experience that you have with a bigger system, like the ecosystem of the, the company. So all of that is the user experience. It's, it's, very, it's very broad and it's not new. It's, it's, it's been here for, uh, for a, a, a while uh, and, it's, and it's here to stay. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it sounds like it goes all the way back since uh, the beginning of interactions. And thank you for coming on and educating. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely uh, huge. Like we're talking about different interfaces. We're talking about even gadgets, the human experience beyond this game application. It's actually leads into my next question. The last couple of years, we're seeing a lot of game tools or, or game thinking or how we interact with things. In the game industry, we're kind of extended beyond than just making games and entertainment. A lot of these other companies are starting to adopt a lot of our tools, but our way of approaching the problem how has ux kind of helped besides the examples that that you have laid out before us how specifically are they taking us a lesson from games to apply ui ux to their own industry oh you mean how the the industry outside games are are using game ux to improve their stuff exactly um, well, I actually have a lot of people asking me that question um, uh, because a lot of, of companies, they want to make their products more engaging uh, and, and games are good games are engaging. And so they think that they can just like suck up all the, the good nutrients from games and then just like apply it to their platform. Um, so what games do well is, is good games because there are plenty of games that don't do that well, um, <laughs> is that you are intrinsically motivated to play the game. It's, it's not just the badges because this is what we call gamification and, and a lot of um, companies outside the game industry, they think, oh yeah, we need just to have badges and have people level up and then that's going to gamify uh, the platform. Um, Yes, that sure has a role, uh, but that's extrinsic motivation. You do something to get something else. Um, it is certainly uh, useful, and uh, and we use that every day, uh, and that's cool, and at work, uh, and and in products. But it's it's not the essence of game. Is that really? It's that it's what we call an autotelic activity. It means that you want to engage with that activity for the pleasure of, of doing that activity. It's not a means to an end. And, uh, there's a theory of what we call intrinsic motivation. So the things that you do for the pleasure of doing them, that is called self-determination theory or SDT for short. And this theory explains that we are more motivated to do something when we, um, when this activity satisfies our need for competence, autonomy, and relatedness. 
So competence is the need that when we do something, we need to see that we're progressing, that we're getting better at it. Let's say that you're starting to play the guitar and you're rehearsing a specific tune or whatever. And, you know, the more you rehearse, you see that you're getting better at it. That's encouraging. That makes you, that's motivating. That makes you engage more in that activity. And so it's often skill-based, but doesn't have to be necessarily like in games. If you think of RPGs, um, it's, it's the more you level up, the more you have skills that are unlocked that artificially make you more powerful within the system. But still, you progress and you see that you're progressing. And this is the main reason why progression bars are so powerful. It's not just because you know that, oh, I'm going to soon be a level 10. I'm going to have a, a, a super cool uh, reward. But it's also because you see yourself progressing. And that's very satisfying. And a lot of games categorize a lot on on competence because you get better at the game, you level up. Uh, if if it's a skill based game, the more you you practice, the 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 better you're you're um, at playing it. So a lot of games do that very well. Whereas sometimes at work or you don't necessarily feel that competent, you don't necessarily have a lot of feedback, or uh, you don't necessarily know how to do things better. Um, and so that that's a thing that we can gain from games, not just the leveling up thing, but ensure that people feel competent into doing what they um, that activity. The second one is autonomy. So autonomy is being able to express yourself um, and to also solve problems the way you want. If you look at very big games that are, um, some of them are very, offer a lot of autonomy. You think about Minecraft or think about GTA. It's, these are sandbox games. It means that you can solve problems the way you want and you can just like tinker around with, with the system. And that's very powerful. And we love that. Um, so now you have a lot of games that are more linear, uh, but oftentimes, you know, you can choose your character, you can choose your skins, you can choose your dance moves. Uh, so that gives you a way to express yourself. So, uh, games that are allowing to express yourself are more engaging. Uh, same thing at work. If, if you are able to solve the pro- some problems the way you want, it's more engaging than if your boss is telling you, all right, now do this and this and that in, in that way that I'm telling you, you need to do it. It's way more pa- empowering to say, okay, this is our objective. Uh, figure a way to you know, a, a get to that objective uh, in the most efficient way possible. Then you feel more empowered because you decide how you're going to get there. You have an objective, to reach, um, but you are empowered because you are you have autonomy into how to solve for that problem. And the last one is uh, relatedness. So we are a very social species. We need each other to survive in this world, and a lot of people forget about that. Um, but we need each other, and because of that, we love to have activities when we can play with others. Now, a lot of games uh, capitalize on that, or any multiplayer game capitalizes on that. Uh, there's a lot of focus on competition. Um, so competitive games are, of course, uh, quite engaging, but actually uh, cooperation is even more powerful than competition. Um, and in, even like look at sports, most sports are team-based sports. So yes, there's you compete, but it's a team. So you collaborate with your team and you compete with another team. Um, so anytime you have games that allow for that uh, and, and making sure that that how you play with others is meaningful. So RPGs are very good at that because it's not only you play with some people, but everybody has a specific role that they need to play. Uh, and when they do that properly, they feel competent. It's like, you know, you're you're the tank and you get all the aggro and, and players thank you, or you're the healer and, and you heal someone before that person died. Uh, that person says thank you and you feel competent because of that. And everybody has a role to play that's very specific. So this is really that the essence of, of, of games. And there's many other stuff, but I, you know, otherwise I'm going to talk like for forever. Um, but this is something that companies need to understand. And this is what games good games do very well uh, and that we need in more products. It's not just badges. Badges are important because they give you, you know, uh, rewards give you feedback. 
if, if you're accomplishing something or you found a treasure, it's giving you feedback that you're competent, that you did something good in the game. So um, it's you know, that dichotomy, extrinsic, intrinsic, sometimes you know, the, the lines are a bit blurred uh, because what's really intrinsic, what's really uh, extrinsic, you don't necessarily know. Um, but if you only focus on extrinsic, oh yeah, you're going to do that just to level up and progress. Uh, it's most of the time is really not as compelling as having like the bigger picture and make sure that people um, are intrinsically motivated into uh, doing this activity. Well, speaking of the trying to get motivated, it's great to kind of great to talk about the psychology and more than ever during this COVID world, a lot of people are facing a lot of these issues or motive of motivation or simply from a job perspective, just to interacting with people, but doing remote working and more and more people are stuck at home facing issues. I think at a seller rate than we normally would. I would love to hear your thoughts. I know this is kind of taking a step back from applications with games. I feel like this discussion of this will actually lead back into any creative outputs later. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on with the coronavirus crisis. Uh, it's not, uh, yes. There's the fact that we, a lot of people all of a sudden could not interact with other people physically. Um, so it's, that's also, um, put an emphasis on how technology can bring us together, uh, including video games. And it's, and thank God we had that during the coronavirus um, crisis, like a way to see each other and not just have them on the phone, but see each other and, and be able to still have that relatedness going because we need it as, as humans. Um, but it, it's more, I mean, there's a lot of stress going on and then people losing their jobs and people being sick. So there's a lot of stuff on top of, of just like the, the relatedness um, part because it's, it's also proving that remote work works. Um, and and we there's a lot of benefit from that. It's more inclusive to make sure that we can uh, work remotely rather than having people all the time in the same room. Um, so there's, there are some benefit of uh, some benefit, you know, at least it was, it was emphasizing that there are many things that we're doing in our society is not inclusive and it's not useful and it's not good for the environment. So we can, there's, it's, it's, it's helping us seeing these things and hopefully we're not going to revert completely back to normal once the crisis is over and we can, uh, keep doing that and keep being inclusive and, and, um, make sure that people can, can collaborate remotely because that works. Um, but yeah, the stress and the distraction is not just that, is the, the politics and all the stuff that's going on and, you know, <laughs> and people dying around us and then people being sick. Uh, it's, 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 uh, there's a lot of layers um, there that are contributing to the fact that we're distracted and it's hard to stay concentrated right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot of issues happening at once, even with friends who's been remote working for or excited about remote working, finding a sudden change of, of their whole lifestyle on top of being full-time teachers. <laughs> it's, it's a lot to ask. Even for me, I've been fortunate enough to be remote working or working from home for about a year before COVID happened. So I'm used to a certain lifestyle, even with me <laughs> being stuck at home longer or, uh, or not being able to go outside to, to for recreational needs, it's uh, 300% way, way intense than what I was used to. So I can't imagine about people who were in office all the time and then suddenly being in this. Yeah, we were not just working from home. Like we, we were sheltering in place and... Yeah. And, and, you know, we're dealing with a crisis. It's a, there's a big difference. <laughs> so it's not just working from home. And yes, we could not take a break and, and go outside and, and go have a beer with someone or just like, you know, in many places like parks were closed. Uh, so it's, it's hard to regenerate. Like we need to, to be able to unplug and go for a walk. It's actually pretty good for, uh, uh, for our brains to, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, stay sharp and stay in good uh, mental health and also be creative. It's really important to 
just go wandering outside and look at nature. Um, and when you can't do that and, and, and for all the people like we're living in, uh, like in a small apartment with, a, a, a lot, you know, a lot of close relatives with them, it's, 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 it's really hard. Um, for for many many people so it's it's yeah it's not just working from home (laughs) (laughs) before we continue this week's episode let's have a word from our sponsor more and more companies are working remotely but Parsec for Teams lets game makers break free from the studio and work from anywhere. You can use Parsec for professional and personal use to connect computers at 60 frames per second, ultra high definition video streams with super precise inputs for mouse handling and controller support. Working together is as simple as sharing a link with a teammate. You can then share files, review work, or even work together in a single program. It's the closest thing to being in the same studio. I actually use Parsec for running GDUX this year, and it was the greatest way for me to connect to my main computer and for my team to work with me to deliver the best virtual game dev conference. So I definitely see a huge use for remote working, but also playing games with each other. The biggest thing with remote desktop is that there are security concerns. However, Parsec for Teams ensures that only people on your team has access to your projects. Connections are peer-to-peer and encrypted, never touching the backend and features two-factor authentication and other security measures that gives you a peace of mind. So like mentioned before, the best use cases using Parsec for Teams is perfect for level design, animation, game development, playtesting, and more. And lets you seamlessly connect programs like Unity, Unreal, Maya, Cinema, 4D, and others. So hundreds of AAA and indie studios are already using Parsec for Teams to stay connected to their work. So go check it out at parsecgaming.com forward slash teams. It seriously is one of the easiest and fastest and reliable remote desktop applications I ever use. And it's perfect for gamers and game developers alike. So go check it out in the link description below. Now back to this week's episode. Uh, so what I'm wondering as well is that um, we're going through a, a crisis that I haven't faced at least uh, throughout my existence. And many people, this is the first. What I'm wondering coming out of this is what kind of type of things are we going to expect? Because we are a creative industry and I know there are many games that have been planned before that are, are planning to ship, but I wonder what other expressions are going to look like after this. And if any, if it's going to be, going to be more celebrative or. Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I think we're, all going to be happy to see each other again at the next, I don't know, whatever next conference we're going to have first. This is going to be GDC. Uh, we'll see. But um, yeah, I think hopefully it would, it would have taught us that we take a lot of things for granted and we should cherish that we have and, you know, connections with people is really important. Staying healthy is really important. Um, having that notion that, all of a sudden, you, you you know, if you start being uh, sick in your life, all of a sudden, like it's shifting your priorities tremendously, and 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 it's it's yeah, it's it's it, it, hopefully it would have reminded us that a lot of things are precious and we're just taking them for granted. Um, I mean, the other generations went through horrible wars, so uh, it was a bit different they were not necessarily stuck at home but uh, you know and, and oftentimes uh, you know I'm, I'm from france so my my family was telling me you know, when you had the, the curfews and you hear the sirens you have to run to the subway and stay there and, and, and i mean it's uh, yes it's it's traumatic what we're going through but uh, at, at least we're not experiencing the horrors of war and being out there and maybe getting shot or seeing uh, someone close that is getting shot it's so that's the reason why, on top of that, uh, all the, the the police brutality and and people are just fed up of of all of that. And it's it's I it's it's a moment that we realize that maybe we should reprioritize things a little bit. And 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 you know, humanity is what's the most important. This is who we are. And 
So yeah, uh, <laughs> not sure if that's the answer that you were expecting, but <laughs> no, I mean, but, um, it's all relative, and I, I hopefully artists are going to express that better than my words. Yeah, everyone's just <laughs> running, running out with Wacom pens. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the pros testing and the police brutality. I feel like um, with every went we went through two minutes of really stoic rest. And of course, this it was the spark that, that really made everyone upset, at least in the United States on my side. I've never been very political or, or have enough knowledge to speak on that matter. Or, But it really opened my eyes what truly the government is, is able to do in times of need. And it really exposed a lot of the problems, the, the problem and the cracks of how we really are alone uh, when things do hit the fan. Uh, thankfully, we're not going through a world war, but because of that, I feel like 50, 50 plus years of laziness. I feel like, like in a way, we kind of let things went dormant. And yeah, not all of us. Not all of us. <laughs> but, yeah, the, most, the, 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 the yeah. masses. Yeah. yeah, the more the more privileged people. Yeah. yeah, the most privileged people are. Yeah, yeah, this is good. And then the others, you know, they're too tired of working and and make um, um, and needs and needs uh, to you know it's, it's just hard to after your, your day is over like you're just trying to get on with your life to you know get out there and, and protest for your for your rights and that's the reason why you have such a status quo until you know you have the moments then the, the it's really the balance is really too off and and there's something happening and, and you have like 40 million americans that are uh, unemployed it's and when you're unemployed here is the, um, oftentimes you, you, you don't have any social security and you, you lose a uh, healthcare and that's, that's really rough. That's really rough. Yeah. I think coupled with that, the unemployment rate this month too in the United States have been lifting up restrictions to kick people out of, of, of their residency. I, I feel like, even without the what is what has happened, a lot of people would have reacted eventually uh, the same way because there wasn't really a long term plan of out of this pandemic. Uh, um, as artists, all we can do is be out there and protest and also uh, capture the emotions that is going on right now and express it in a way that is within our medium we are passing on to future generations and give attention to um, what's and, going and on. And art as a, was always a, a, a very powerful way to challenge the status quo. Because a lot of, of, of very great uh, art pieces are, are when people were shocked or hated it or because it was challenging them in, in their perception and their status quo. Um, yeah, it's a way to confront a perception that is not, yours uh like i was saying earlier like we all have there's the reality and we all have different per- perceptions of it depending on our background and who you are our culture and that's what art is amazing and it's, it's a way to be able to confront different perspectives uh rather than just our own and and to you know challenge us and 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 to to you know push us outside of of, of our comfort zone and 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 challenge the status quo so yeah, art, art has an immense role to play in there. Yeah, I and I completely agree with you. And this is actually a good segue into the next topic that I want to talk about. We're talking about human interaction with the world in the virtual world and being able to respond to that. And throughout the years, we've seen some some jumps within using the controller to Nintendo leading the charges with how you interact with the Wii. Now there are game pads and of course the VR and AR introduction. So what are you seeing with this new level of interaction, VR and AR with AR being very quiet, where in need of hardware for these tech companies to really fully realize it. I, I think the phone is neat trick, but it's not there yet. 
in terms of how VR is getting people excited. So I would love to hear your thoughts about that. Sure. Um, yeah, every time you have a new technology, it's it's um, you have to learn how to interact and with the system. And what's interesting with with these new technologies is that is they're removing barriers rather than you know when you when we <laughs> when you play video games before like the Atari, like just like when when uh, uh, thumbstick and and one button and that was simple enough uh and and then you know we have like big controllers and tons of buttons like over 30 ways of of pressing all the buttons um so that's less usable and then uh, not even to mention like it's less accessible um and the idea of the the new technology is to remove these barriers so now it's going to be as easy as as I mean, at least we're trying to make it as easy as, as just interacting in, in real life. So trying to match our um, conventions that we have in real life into a system is one of the best way to make it usable because then you don't have to, to learn how to interact with the system if, it's, if you're interacting with that system in the same way that you, in, you interact with the world uh, and you already know how that works. So we're not entirely there yet, and and the problem with VR is uh, you have a lot, a lot of gear and you need space. Uh, so AR is is requires less space, and the whole point of AR is having it in your pocket or on you know, okay glasses. So it's it's much easier rather than gearing up and maybe you have haptic feedback in VR and having the gloves and, and all that, but it's much more immersive because VR is really uh, immersing all of your senses. Uh, it's, it's hard to get distracted. Like with your phone, if you're um, commuting, it's going to be very easy to be distracted because stuff that's happening, you hear stuff, you need to uh, go down to that station um, VR is just like when you go to the movies, even then in movies, you can check out their phone where people should not do that, mm-hmm. uh, at the theater, but in VR, there's no way to do that because there's no way to get distracted from, um, outside. Um, and, and humans are very easily distracted. And so the power of VR is, is not only all the things that, you, you know, you, you're really, Sometimes you really feel you know, like you're falling or that you're, you're really in that environment. But on top of that, it's really helping players focus on what's going on because it's going to be very hard to get distracted um, you know, unless someone is, is trolling you and just poking you mm-hmm. <laughs> as you play. Um, but that's the reason why VR rooms are really cool because you have like a whole space and you know it's safe. You're not going to hurt yourself. Um I think it's going to be a challenge to get that in people's living rooms. Of course, you you have people going to have VR, but the the I think what's powerful is to have a whole room dedicated to that, so that you can be fully immersed and you know it's a safe space. You know you know you can't get hurt um, to really experience it uh, at, the, at the top level. But it is creating a lot of new challenges in UX. Like for example, there's a lot of a information that we convey in the HUD. So the heads up displays, all the, the stuff that's always on screen as you play a game. In, in VR, it's very hard to do that uh, because it makes people sick mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you have more depth uh, uh, when you play in VR. So if you have like a, a, an overlay screen, mm-hmm. uh, it's, that makes you um, nauseous. So this is complicated to do. So it means that we, we need to rely more on environmental um, UI or what we call diegetic. It's, it's, it's really part of the environment. But if you do that, because you don't control the camera, if the player just do that and there's something going on here, how do you draw attention to the things for the game itself? So that's creating a lot of uh, challenges. And AR, the big challenges is multitasking. We can't multitask. We're very terrible at it. We believe we can, but we are terrible at it. And the, the big problem with the uh, with ar is making sure people are not gonna fall over uh trip on something uh or like in the worst cases uh, get killed because they're distracted by their phone or if they're uh with uh glasses you know they're distracted with what's going on uh in the interface there and they're not able to focus on the real world and the real world can be dangerous if, if you're walking but and not looking at where you look where you're walking at too so 
yeah, it's, it's just really interesting because it's, it's creating new ways to experience things, um, but it's bringing new challenges. Um, and that's what's fascinating as well. It's really interesting. Yeah. I, and I kind of want to, if you can paint a picture of how important the five senses are for full immersion and full believability. And of course, with VR, you got your visual, you got your audio and people go a little further with haptic feedback, but that's not full touch and feel though. You can kind of graph or give a percentage of understanding, even though we don't need a hundred percent of all our senses, which is the ultimate matrix, right? What is the, the measure here that game developers that should be mindful or think about for a full experience that not, not to the level, level I don't know maybe, maybe to the level, level. <laughs> but I mean like if that's the case like how far away are we from from the matrix pretty far out yeah, <laughs> yeah <from the> matrix, <laughs> but like somewhat immersive where so first of all we don't only have five senses okay. um yeah, you mentioned haptic. Um, so haptic is, is close to touch, um, but we have actually many, many more senses. For example, you can sense temperature. Um, you can sense your body in space. This is what we call proprioception. So if you close your eyes, you are able to, without looking at what your hand is doing, you are still able to touch your nose unless you're drunk, but that's another problem. Uh, but typically we are able to feel our body in space. This is what we call proprioception. We also have uh, the vestibular system. So there's the, the inner ear that knows, you know, if you were upside down or not upside down. And so that's one of the main challenges in VR is because in VR, you're going to have a mismatch between what your eyes are seeing and what your body is experiencing. So in VR, for example, let's say you're in a roller coaster and you and you just like go down super fast, your your brain is gonna say, "All right, whoa, we're falling, people!" Like like hanging there. But then your body's like, "Nope, I don't." You know, proprioception or your, your vestibular system is like, "No, I'm standing still. Mm-hmm. This is not what's happening." And so this is that mismatch mismatch that can create um, uh, nausea. It's the same thing as in your in your car. Um, because inside the car, it doesn't feel like you're moving that, that much. And then you're outside, it's moving a lot. So that's the reason why, for example, we, we tell people to take a bottle of water and to, if you, if you feel sick in the car and look at the water moving around as you're, you are, um, turning around. So that's helping with nausea. So these are the challenges that we, uh, that we have in, in VR because we can't get hundred mm-hmm. percent um, uh, immersion with all the senses because some of the senses, proprioception and vestibular system, we can't just simulate that. We, we only use like haptic a little bit and uh, but it means that you have to pull you know put on a whole suit if you have if you want to have full haptic feedback. Um, but we are full immersed. We have full immersion with visual and audio for sure. The rest is where it's going to be complicated because we have like over like 30 senses, uh, like maybe not 30, but we have a lot. Uh, we have more than 20, uh, depending on the, how you, you categorize senses. Um, and so you're not going to be able to recreate all of it in VR. You're, you're really fully immersive and immersed. And in terms of visual senses and audio, but not the rest. So that's the reason why I was telling like rooms where you have maybe wind uh, coming at you or sometimes uh, in VR spaces, you are on something, that thing is moving with you. Like think uh, if, Star Tours. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like VR because you're all in, a, in an environment and you everything completely immersed visually and audio but you're in a thing that is moving, even though it's not falling down or speeding up, but it's moving enough that it's a much more immersive experience because you have that proprioception and vestibular system that is matching what you're hearing and seeing. And so VR by itself is not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you're going to have to need more stuff to be able to do it. And that's the reason why I... I believe I may be wrong. I believe that VR is much more powerful in an environment that is created for it with more stuff uh, that you can really fully be immersed. Um, it's still very immersive. It's just like put the headset on uh, right. uh, and play for sure. You're going to have fun, but it's never going to be like the level of metrics you're talking about mm. with a VR headset at home. 
No, it's not. We're far from that. I think a lot of these companies that are uh, excited about that prospect or or tr- trying to bridge the gap of location based and entertainment are trying to do that with that have these visual spaces with these goggles and you're kind of walking through it. One subject that I always am interested in but know nothing about is the idea of dreaming, right? So, so I feel like a lot of developers or a lot of tech people behind this technology are eventually trying to drive towards to people or use... I mean, everybody kind of has their own devices in a way at night when we we do have total engagement and immersion within our subconscious. I wonder how much of that we can study to bridge bridge over while we are conscious and trying to achieve that because I feel like I a key that we need to unlock somewhere in there at some point. And, and some, some people, people are uh, that with lucid dreaming. I know, I know this, this is kind of wild. But I, 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 I don't know if we need to unlock it. It could be interesting for sure. I'm not sure if we need it. We don't need <laughs> it. Some dreams are, I don't know if you know that, are nightmares. <laughs> yeah, people don't want to be in there. Yeah. Well, well, people love horror games. So, so uh, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how, how, how much is, is that relative to, to what we're doing and, and but it, it, we love studies doing. Yeah, we love horror games because we can control it. Oh, it's a controlled environment you I can see. stop it like kids they love horror stories because they can control it. you can put down the book uh they can you can you can turn off the 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 tele- television do anyone watch television now like turn off <laughs> youtube or whatever yeah, yeah twitch or yeah. um so you were nightmares there you can't control them like some people can uh, like uh, lucid dreaming and uh, that's super interesting uh, but that's the problem with dreams and nightmares it's completely uncontrollable so that's an interesting question i never really thought of that um but it's uh yeah so we don't even know what dreams are for it's it's there's uh some notion that it's this is when we consolidate the things that we learn during the day so that's why we need to uh, to sleep regularly that's really important for uh, the development of kids, of course, but also in adulthood, we need our sleep because otherwise we're not consolidating all that. And mm-hmm. if we're tired, we're not able to function. But beyond that, we we don't know wh- what dreams are for. And it's, it's still very, very mysterious. Like the brain uh, overall is still very mysterious. So, yeah, um, you're going to don't hold your breath on experiencing that. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to take a while before we uh, even understand a bit better what this means and make a whole experience out of it. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know if I want to experience that, by the way. It <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds really scary. I want to put one foot in and one foot out to experience. Yeah. Very, very cautious. Um, one little, one last question. And I kind of like to throw it out there. I think it's appropriate to ask for your your projection of what the next five years or ten years, if it has changed with recent events or are on re- track f- for achieving great things or not. <laughs> That's a very loaded question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> game development, at least. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's focus on that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things uh, technology-wise, super exciting. Uh, everything is is getting seamless, and um, yeah, there's a lot of new things that we're going to be able to, ex- to experience, and, and that's exciting. Um, I'm not sure if we're on track with what we should be doing because you know, at the end of the day, we're humans, and we need human connection, and um, we're not on track with inclusion that much. I mean, that's getting a bit better. Um, there's much more effort towards accessibility. I know there's a lot of people super excited about the last of us too, because there are so many accessibility options in that game that finally that we, we take that seriously and, and, and we, we make it happen, but it, it's still, I mean, it's, uh, it's still not very broad. I and mean, there's still a lot of games that are not accessible. There's still a lot of games that are not inclusive. There still a lot of games that are not made with a diverse team. Uh, and so uh, there, we still have a lot of stuff to do. We need to talk more about ethics because we are offering all these 
trying to offer all these experiences. Uh, and we know that, that video, some video games can have uh, um, an impact. You know, everything you experience is going to have an impact on you um, because the brain is plastic. And so by definition, um, that's going to change you. It's going to change you. But some video games can have a, a good impact and some video games can have a negative impact in some conditions. And so we need to, to think a little bit about what is it we're offering and, and to think about the ethics of that. Cause we don't talk about ethics enough and we don't talk about our responsibility as content providers. Um, it's, I mean, there's so many things that, that it, like we were saying earlier, like art is, a powerful way to challenge the status quo. Video games is an art form. And we need to understand what uh, uh, discriminations we're reinforcing in some games and how we can challenge the status quo because we can. It's a powerful medium and and, uh, there, there should be more reflection uh, about that, you know, what we're condoning in, in the content our game and what we need to challenge. Uh, so we, you know, we can participate as an, an art form in a culture uh, to make the, the world a better place and be more um, inclusive and, and fair. So, yeah, I'm not sure we're on track. <laughs> that would be my short answer. <laughs> but it's, it's getting there. It's getting there. More people are talking. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the accessibility and making more affordable for people to buy in and check things out as the industry. It, it, it does feel it definitely is going at a slower pace, but especially when it comes to inclusion. And I'm guilty of this as well. Within the industry, we tend to refer friends. And friends uh, usually within your same circle and the same people. And so if you don't go beyond that to avoid that, you're just going to have the same issues with huge companies. And in the end, you're just going to have the same product that appeals to very certain people. And, And I completely agree with you that that our medium is at an extraordinary position to give light and change and bring biggest issues to to the masses and young and old. Young, young and old. old. Uh, yeah, but also not not being complacent and not you know not just because the you know there are games that you just um, try to exploit you know. Uh, some mechanics to make people want to come back and, and, and buy stuff. And, and you have games that just like want to be violent just to be violent. There's not necessarily a, a moral, uh, morality discussion happening in the game, but there's no gameplay um, impact on it. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to portray violence in your game. There's nothing to glorify rape or, mm-hmm. or brutality against certain populations that, which are the problems that exist today. And so capitalizing on that is, is disgusting. Um, so if, if you want to portray that into, and there's plenty of movies that make you think about all that, that are really uh, interesting, but because it's, it's not just portraying this violence, it's making you think about it and, and, you know, try to, um, uh, get a, a, a perspective and again, challenge the status quo. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this, I think we're still yeah, because video games have been treated in such a such subcategory of art form for so long. Um, maybe this is the reason why we we don't think of of, of video games are, are you know they have something to say and and some games do that and it's amazing and I love that the the uh, indie developers are doing that way more and and that's the reason why i love playing indie games because a lot of them are really addressing these things and talking about difficult things and and you know again challenging us Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think we need more of that yeah i'm very interested to see what happens after this pandemic and everything i really do feel remote working is the gateway to lending a lot of these voices to get in these studios without having to be locked down within their geography. I think a huge positive step. And if anything, these studios 
weren't considering doing this are forced to doing this now and they have the infrastructure now and if anything they they are welcoming talent developers more so than talent people just <laughs> yeah, local so, so. I, that's hope that's hope that's hope who knows maybe they'll go back shut up all that it's for us to challenge that too yeah. and to say hey hey wake up let's that's that's I, that's I think, uh, be more diverse what the hell i know i, know. I, I, I think a lot, a lot of it will come from a selfish wants of like hey i want to be home more with my family and then we'll we'll use the these others ways of telling them that that this is actually useful for that. So, uh, I mean, we have another year. It feels like. Yeah, it's, it's still gonna be quite challenging. I think. Um, well, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, remote work is is it's good. I mean, it's less polluting and it's allowing uh, it's more accessible again. That's yeah. so. There's there's no reason why we should not embrace that but then you know i i understand the need to be in contact with people i do workshops and i can tell you it's harder to do a workshop remotely it's not impossible but it's harder because i don't get the feel of the room right. uh, when people get tired so there's there's i mean we again we're human we are used to that but there's no need to have these moments all the time as we work right? there's a lot of time in game development where like, you just like most of the time, we're we're at our desk and we're discussing on Slack or whatever Discord mm-hmm. with people actually that the room next door. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't doesn't matter if you're just next door, or just like a thousand miles away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well uh, maybe, maybe post pandemic. pandemic. I, know I know you can't, can't see, see me right now, but you know, you know my, my place is not really up to to, to keeps, and, and it's, it's actually probably a blessing that you're not here in this abandoned warehouse. <laughs> Uh, but but you'll, you'll see, see you'll see it later. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. about. It'll be funny. Okay. How to <laughs> but, uh, but, but this is actually a perfect opportunity. We are at the hour mark. I want to thank you, Celia, for, for connecting with us and educating us. And, and, and yeah, yeah, I think your subject is the most important subject out of everybody. All you do is just pixels. It's like UX is life. Like, get yeah, it is. It is. It's <laughs> huge. Huge part of game design. So, um, I, I, I'm gonna throw over the mic to you, and this is where you can give attention to shout out. Okay. Go for it. Well, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you, Brendan, for uh, for having me. And uh, yeah, like like I said jokingly, you know, UX is life, but it, it is a philosophy, and it's it's really about uh, sh- shifting away from our own perspective to to have a think about how other people are experiencing what you're making. So it's important for games, it's important for society, um, and it's important for inclusion. And so that's the reason why, like, understanding the science behind it can bring people together and can help. Um, breaking the barriers and, and understand what systemic racism or sexism is because design is never neutral. When you design something, people are going to uh, perceive it in a certain way. It's going to encourage them to interact with it in a certain way. Uh, and, and there's an example that I, I, it's very simple that I love to, um, to talk about. If, if you're just stuck in your bubble and uh, let's say you're in Silicon Valley and you develop soap dispensers and you like all white dudes around you and like, all right, this soap dispenser works well. And you test it with yourself. Like, cool. Let's ship it. It's working well. And then uh, some person with a different skin complexion, darker skin, tries to use it and it's not working because no one thought of testing it on different skin complexions. Mm-hmm. This is about breaking bubbles it's about it's it's your design that is making it not usable for someone else so that's just a soap dispenser but it's the same thing for healthcare it's the same thing for access uh to opportunities and so we need to redesign that shit uh so that it's diverse and accessible and inclusive to all um and to that <laughs> a lot of studying so, I gotta do. Get on it. <laughs> and get on it. I want to thank you again, Celia, for coming on. And uh, that's it. Uh, we are about to log off. Uh, thank you, Celia. And uh, see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody